All right, today we pick up where we left off. Yesterday, Paul and Barnabas had split up, had a big argument about John Mark. Barnabas takes John Mark back to his home island of Cyprus, and Paul takes Silas and heads off to visit the churches that he and Barnabas started on their first missionary journey. Two new characters are introduced to our narrative. We are introduced to Timothy, who plays a major part in Paul's life, and Luke, the physician, joins the team. Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. I hope you're having a fabulous day. I am. It's a glorious day here in Dallas, Georgia. And let me say hello to my friend Henry. Henry, how are you? You're always there, my friend. Always there. I appreciate you. All right. My name is Paige. Here's the coffee, and we're getting ready to get into the Bible. We're going to pick up today in Acts chapter 16. Yesterday, uh, in Acts 15, the apostles, the apostle Paul and Barnabas, finished their journey up, and they're getting ready to go out to to visit the churches that they had started in their first missionary journey. And Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with him. Now, John Mark had gone with them on the first journey, but had left them, uh, deserted them. And Paul had a problem with that. So much of a problem that he and Barnabas, their relationship was affected and they split apart. And Barnabas took John Mark with them back to his hometown. Paul went on his own and started his, uh, it took somebody by the name of Silas, I guess, and went back to revisit uh, the churches that they had just established in the first journey. So let's get started. We have two maps here. The top map shows the direction of the journey that they went on their first missionary trip, Paul and Barnabas. They went to Cyprus, then across the Mediterranean to Perga, and in a clockwise motion through Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, and then back home to Antioch. This time, Paul doesn't go to Cyprus. Instead, he chooses an overland route and goes from Antioch to Derby and just kind of goes in reverse order. Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, Pisidian Antioch, etc. So, let's read this. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. All right, first of all, Timothy wasn't circumcised as a point of salvation, being part of the salvation. It was more a point of expediency. Paul was a Pharisee, a well-known Jewish leader, and he just didn't want to cause unnecessary issues in the Jewish community. Now, Timothy's mother was a Jew, but she had been married to a Greek man. That makes Timothy a half-Jew. 
but he would still be considered a Jew through his mother, especially if he was circumcised. So as not to cause a problem, Timothy was circumcised because it was Paul's practice to always go to the Jews first. And he didn't want to have to enter into a synagogue with a non-Jew, which is what Timothy would have probably been assumed to be unless he was circumcised. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. All right, so Paul's delivering the results of the first church symposium, if you will, in Jerusalem that we just read about last chapter. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in numbers. All right, so this is becoming a pretty prominent movement among the Gentiles and it's gaining traction. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Well, Galatia is this Asia Minor area uh, on the left side. It's hard. You're gonna, those of you who are uh, watching this or listening to this, excuse me, through the podcast, it's the western half of Asia Minor was called Galatia. He traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, the eastern portion. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. That's the north, northern part there of Asia Minor. Uh, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Now, that could mean a couple different things. That could mean there was a, a dream, a vision. Could have been a prophetic word from a prophet. Or could have just been circumstances. We don't know. But Paul and Timothy were prevented from going into Bithynia. You know, I, I read a book once, um, Bible study actually, and the the pastor who wrote the book, it was all about finding, the, the Bible study was about finding the will of God. And he talked about how many times we ignore our circumstances for guidance. God is sovereign. He's the God of all our circumstances. Uh, one of the names for him, I can't remember the Hebrew name, but translated means the God who sees, literally the God who sees me. Well, the God who sees me orders my circumstances to guide me. Now, we, have, we get guidance from the scripture. We get guidance from our Christian brothers and sisters. Sometimes we get guidance from unbelievers. Sometimes our guidance comes in the form of circumstances. This particular pastor, he pastored a church that had a lot of medical people in it, nurses, uh, trauma specialists, um, EMTs, doctors, etc. So they would put together missionary trips of medical people to travel around Canada to remote places, bringing medical help and bringing the gospel. He went to pastor another church that was full instead of uh, carpenters and woodworkers and home builders, construction people. And he says, wouldn't it be stupid to go out and do medical missionary trips with those people? He says, I look around me, I see all these construction people. So we sent out missionary teams that built churches and homes and ministered to people in that way. He looked at his circumstances 
to get an idea of what God was telling him. So that could have been the possibility here. Maybe circumstances just kept them from going up there. Maybe there was a vision. When I was, uh, years and years ago, I was in a denomination, a, a charismatic Pentecostal denomination. Believed in the gifts of the Spirit were uh, extant today, in other words, present today, and I believe that. The only issue I had with that thought about the spiritual gifts is that it's usually the showy gifts that are put front and center. The prophecies, tongues, healing, stuff of that nature. And they made me think that this stuff should be happening all the time. And I was really puzzled because this stuff didn't happen all the time. And when I started studying the book of Acts, I began to realize it looked like every other page in the book of Acts is a miracle. Somebody, some lame man's getting uh, healed. Some blind person's getting healed. Somebody's getting raised from the dead. You know, there's visions and angels. And I, I used to get so confused until I realized the book of Acts is really 35 to 40, it covers a time span of 35 to 40 years. And that these miracles and miraculous interventions of God aren't necessarily happening every day. They happen when they're needed. But when you put it within an expanded time frame of about 35, 40 years, you can realize that it wasn't every day a lame man getting healed. It wasn't every day somebody speaking in tongues. It wasn't every day angels appeared. An angel appeared when an angel was needed. A man was healed when the healing was needed. So I began to relax in the fact that God's will will be implemented. God will do what God will do when God wants to do it. And as an old pastor said, God will use the ordinary unless the extraordinary is called for. Well, Paul didn't rely on signs and wonders. He preached the gospel. He pushed forward. He endured. He suffered. Sometimes he was delivered miraculously. Sometimes he wasn't. We're going to read a story about that here today. So anyway, for whatever reason, they were refused entrance into Bithynia. Verse 8. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. You see Troas up here. Troas is in the upper northeast, right close to the coast of Asia Minor. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, Macedonia was across the Mediterranean into the area known as Greece. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, one word changes the focus of Acts. And it's this word, we. Now, you know, Luke is the author of Acts. Up until this point, the pronouns have been they, them, uh, Paul and his companions, they, when they came to the uh, border of Mysia. But from this point on, it's we. So Luke, the author of the book of Acts, apparently joins Paul at this point. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, from Troas, from Troas, excuse me, 
We put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace or S <laughs> these names. Ah. And the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi. All right. Now you take a look at this top map here. Philippi is up here at the top. There's Neapolis. There's Philippi. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. Now, Philippi was a city built specifically for retired Roman officials. So there was a high concentration of Roman citizens and a low concentration of Jews. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Now, there were so few Jews in Philippi that odds are there was no synagogue. You need 10, mar 10 married men to have a synagogue. So the Jews who were there met for prayer along the banks of the Gangitis River. It was customary for such places of prayer to be located outdoors near running water. Now, there may have been a synagogue, but because some archeology span finds have discovered that uh, there very well might have been a synagogue in area. A synagogue, all it needs is a house and 10 married Jewish men. But odds are, if it was, it was a very small, small amount of Jewish people. But they went, Paul, if you don't have a physical synagogue, you want to go to a place where there's running water because there's ritual washings that have to take place. And it's possible if there was a synagogue, it was by this river. We don't really know. But on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. This is important. Purple was expensive. She's in a Roman city dealing with purple cloth, she was probably doing pretty well for herself as a businesswoman. And in the Roman, in the Roman environment, in the Roman culture, men who were in the, the Roman army would, could be gone for years from home. And women were generally left to run the business of running the home and the businesses. Sometimes uh, a Roman soldier would be given property in lieu of a salary, for instance. So it wasn't uncommon for a retired Roman legionnaire to have several homes. Women were the backbone of much of the economy of the Roman Empire because while the men were away fighting and being manly men, the women would run the households. There would be slaves to manage. There would be groceries. There would be maintenance. If there was a farm, it would have to be managed. These women were very resourceful, very smart, very intelligent. So Lydia was one of these women. She dealt in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Now it says she was a worshiper of God. She wasn't Jewish but she, would, she was what would be called a God-fearer. She was drawn to the God of the Jews, but she wasn't Jewish. She was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. 
When she and the members of her household are baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now, this would not be an uncommon happening in Paul's ministry from this point forward. There would be many, pro there would be, uh, I won't say many, but there are several prominent women in the New Testament churches that were wealthy and respected and they held places of importance in the first century church. Paul goes on later to say he doesn't, he doesn't want a woman to be a pastor of a church. In essence, he, he says, I don't allow a woman to be a doctrine setter in the church. But yet there were prophetesses and there were women like Lydia. There were people, there were women who were extremely important to the church. And just because Paul says that he wouldn't allow one to be a preacher doesn't mean he didn't respect or honor them. They had a very prominent, powerful place in the church, and Lydia was one of these. Now, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She was demon-possessed. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, don't be fooled. This Most High God thing, it's very possible she was referring to Zeus, who was the Most High God in the Roman pantheon of gods. Now, it could be she was actually referring to Jehovah, but there was also a real possibility she's talking about Zeus here. And if that's true, then you can see how using the, the enemy of our soul, Satan, will use our own language against us. We'll use our own terminology against us. On the outset, it looks like she's doing these guys a favor. She's advertising for them. Look, these are servants of Jehovah telling you how to be saved. That's what it would look like. But it's very possible and maybe even probable that Satan is mixing things up to confuse and distort. That's his game. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, that Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews. They're throwing our city into uproar by abdicating customs, customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. It's a lie. They weren't doing anything of the sort. They're just mad because, well, they took away their meal, Paul took away their meal ticket. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. Now you have to realize the basis of this charge was that they were Jews. And they're in a primarily a Roman community, very few Jews. That would be a tough place to be, a Jew. And the they joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Uh, this isn't a, a little thing they would be soundly beaten. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. 
When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and then fastened their feet in the stocks. So there's just no way they're going to get out. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he would have been killed if all the prisoners had escaped because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's an interesting statement. It's possible that Paul and Silas had had ongoing conversation with him while they were in the stocks. Or it could be that he just observed them singing and praying and realizing that he needed what they had. Regardless, he asked us a very important question. What must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Now, he's not saying you be saved and then your whole household will be saved. He's saying, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And your household has to do that too. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. They spent the night talking to him about Jesus. At that hour of night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So now there's a Roman jailer in the fold. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. Paul does something really, really nervy. Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens and threw us into prison, and now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, you let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Paul was not averse to taking advantage of his Roman citizenship. And this would have been a very serious charge against this city if it was discovered that they were beating Roman citizens without trials. So Paul uses everything at his disposal and he's not afraid to use his Roman citizenship. Now, it's interesting, it's Paul and Silas that are in prison. It doesn't sound like Timothy was. Timothy could have been a very young man. Uh, Paul refers to him as a young man 15 or 16 years later when he writes his letters to Timothy. So it's possible Timothy was just a teenager here. Um. And it doesn't look like Paul's association with Lydia put Lydia in danger. It's very possible that Lydia was a very prominent citizen in that city. They didn't want to mess with her. They saw what they thought were two Jews. They probably looked like Jews. 
And they're hanging out with the Jews down at the river. But when they found out they were Roman citizens, oh my goodness, that's when it all went south for the Romans. So there you go. Chapter 16. You know, this up here, what happened with the Roman jailer when he asked how about how to be saved, well, there's no record of conversation. I, you know, it reminds me of an old saying. My wife and I have been bantying back and forth here recently. Um, preach the gospel when necessary, use words. In other words, live your life. Live the gospel. And when necessary, use words. Paul and Silas were living the gospel. They were singing. They were praying. They were praising God in prison while they were in stocks. They were showing no fear. They took a beating, went to prison, in jail, and they're singing and praising and praying. Their very life was their witness. It wasn't just about words with Paul. He not only talked the talk, he walked the walk. So my wife and I, we kind of have adopted that uh, saying into our lives. Preach the gospel in season and out of season. When necessary, use words. I think that describes Paul pretty well. All right, enough for today's devotional. It's Paige, coffee, and I am out of here.